So glad to be here with you this morning. My name is Renaud. I'm a member of the Huntington Beach campus of Beach Point Church, and it's just a privilege for me to be here and give the message with you this morning. The title of the message is Ascending Fuel, the Love of Christ, Sending Us to Live Ascent. Our scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. I'll be teaching on these verses and a few others, and uh, I'm going to be reading from the NIV uh, Bible translation, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. And was raised again. What does Christ's love compel us to do or be? What does that look like in our daily lives? We're going to focus on how to apply that, how it looks like God throughout the Bible demonstrates to us real love and how it applies in our daily personal relationship. And when we love God's way, and live out real love in our daily lives, we get a healthier relationship with God, and we get into healthier relationships with others. Now, for those of you who are single, think with me for a moment. If you are in a relationship with someone, what if just about everything that you do or talk about or do in the relationship centers around the other person? That's all they want to do with you. Or talk about. I think you would realize that perhaps it's not real love. Or if it is love, it's selfish and self-centered on their part. Now, personally, I was not a Christian until I was in my 40s. I didn't know what real love was like or was all about. In relationships, I'm ashamed to tell you, I went from one to another, married, divorced, etc. I didn't know what real love was about, didn't realize, didn't live it out, that real love cares about what the other person cares about, fulfills the desires of the other person, not just selfish. And even when I thought I was in love, I realized I was actually selfish and self-centered. But God... Saved me, redeemed me in my 40s, and he started transforming me, and I started experiencing that as I got a healthier relationship with God, it was transforming me, and I became a Mr. Right, and for those of you who know me, you know I'm Mr. Right, (laughs) and that helped me attract my Miss Right. And the Lord led me to Karen, my wife. She's not here, I don't think, right now with us, but she'll come to the next service. And we were married in November 2010. Now, to demonstrate a little bit about how real love and how it looks like in real life, I'm going to talk about our marriage. So when I uh, was married with Karen, I came into the marriage with two sons. She came in with three. And before we were married, I realized that one of her sons, Jordan did not have a relationship with the Lord. He was not saved. He was a mess. 
He was on drugs that were destroying him. He was a danger to himself and a danger to others around him. And he had a lot of anger and he channeled channeled it toward his mom. And he was shutting her out of his life. Now, what if I didn't get involved with Jordan? He's not my biological son. As a matter of fact, at the time I hardly knew him. I didn't really feel love toward him. And I knew that he didn't love me either. To him, he called me the evil stepdad. But I had to get involved because I loved Karen wholeheartedly. So the love of Karen compelled me to get involved in his life. Now, with his anger and rage toward his mom, it seemed to us that he was a threat to her, a physical threat. But since he didn't like me either and called me the evil stepdad, I realized that by getting involved, I too was in the line of fire. But I did get involved. And in one incident, he was very volatile, and he goes through these periods where he can really hurt somebody. So I had to physically take him out of the house, take him to a hotel, stay with him, stay without sleep because I didn't want him to harm himself. But at the same time, I realized it's self-preservation. If I fell asleep, he could harm me. And I stayed with him until that episode passed. My involvement with Jordan demonstrated to Karen my real sacrificial love toward her. If I didn't get involved, what would that have communicated to Karen? would have communicated that I was selfish and self-centered. It was all about me. How I dealt with Jordan was the evidence of my real love for her. What do you think is the greatest desire of God's heart? God loves us. He created us. He created every single human being on earth in his image. He is our spouse, and he loves, and he's a father. He loves every child in this world more than any parent could ever love his or her uh, child. But sadly today, billions of people are like Jordan was. They've shut God out of their life. They don't have a relationship with God. And the main reason why billions, about three billion, don't have a relationship with God is because they've never heard of Jesus Christ. They've never heard the good news of Him as Lord and Savior. So, God, His greatest desire is to reconcile back those children that he loves, and to get into a a relationship with them. So God saved you, I'm assuming. I'm going to speak with you as if you're a Christian this morning. If you're not, may you get to know the Lord uh, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you were saved, you're probably saved through someone that you know pointed you to Jesus Christ. Whether it's a friend, whether it's a parent, a sibling, somebody pointed you to Jesus Christ. Now that you're saved, 
God desires you to point someone else to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God wants you to get involved with the lost children, like I got involved with Jordan. But we have a big problem in America, and it's a lot worse in Orange County. The problem is that Christians, typically, like I was, do not live and demonstrate in their daily lives real love toward God in meeting the greatest desires of his heart. They haven't loved the way God loves us. They haven't gotten adequately involved with his lost children like I got involved with Jordan. So there's a price to pay for that. As a result, Christianity in America is declining rapidly. And that's a problem. Just like it has happened throughout history, throughout the world, that has negative implications. Here in Orange County, it is worse. Only 33% of residents of Orange County are Christians. It's half the rate of what it is in the United States. What's the solution? The solution, as demonstrated throughout the Bible, is simple. It's you and me living our daily lives, demonstrating our real love toward God and meeting the greatest desires of his heart, just like we would in any marital relationship. Now, between 2000 and 2008, I was a Christian, I was saved, but I didn't demonstrate real love toward God and meeting the desires of his heart. Instead, everything was self-centered. It was about me. In my actions, I showed that I didn't care because I didn't engage any non-Christian by pointing them to Jesus Christ. Therefore, in my actions, I wasn't demonstrating real love or that I want to meet the greatest desires of God's heart. To me, those lost children was, in my actions, it was as if they did not exist because I didn't reach out to them. I was still a Christian. I went to church every week. I even led Bible study at church. I led Bible study at life groups. I prayed regularly. But I didn't share Jesus with lost people. Many of us today would probably say the same thing. You come to church, you're saved, you're a Christian, you pray, hopefully you're involved in life group, Bible study, and so on. But typically, we live our lives more concerned about me, myself, and I. Our prayers reflect that. Our time, our effort, our energy, everything reflects that. Now, in this serious scent, we're trying to encourage each other to live as sent people. To join God on his mission to redeem the lost. To reconcile his lost children. Now, sometimes, it feels, especially for our pastors... Like this balloon. We fill it with our selfishness, our self-air. And um, as far as the mission of God, well, the pastor will come and he'll smack us up with a sermon on the weekend and he'll say, volunteer. So I remember the first time I volunteered, it was in the nursery and I volunteered until the first blowout diaper and that was the end of that. (laughs) And then uh, uh, next week, he'll, uh, he'll preach on daring faith and give, and uh, somebody will give their lunch money, and then uh, we sort of uh, sag right back down. And then the following week, he'll say, hey, we got a witness, uh, reach the lost, and, uh, 
but uh, immediately after that, uh, perhaps for the week, we will go out there and be awkward and shy and it's like go out of our comfort zone to try to witness with somebody and before we're done, it will just fall right back down to sag into the apathy of selfishness and convenience. So, and typically the first thing that goes is witnessing. However, when we fill a balloon with helium, which illustrates Christ's love, we soar. There's no, smacking is not required anymore. We're not going to sag right back down, hopefully. So the same principle applies for passion for the lost. We fill our hearts with Christ's love. That compels us. That's the right fuel. That's the sending fuel that sends us. And then typically what we see is what keeps Christians from proficient is from sharing with those lost is not skill. It's not proficiency. It's love. It's the passion. We lack the conviction to actually go out and get it done. So it's not a lack of skill, but a lack of passion. And scripture, our scripture reading from this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.14, that's what the love of Christ is to compel us to do. Now, throughout the Bible, God demonstrates that for us. Let's start with the Trinity. God the Father demonstrated real love by when we sinned, He didn't just leave us to rot in hell. Immediately, realized action is required. He put the plan, the salvation plan in place, which required unimaginable pain for God the Father because He sent His only Son to die for us to redeem us out of hell. Now, God the Son demonstrated real love by following through on the, God, on the Father's plan. And it required humility on His part to come down to earth and live as a, as a human being. It's, uh, it demonst- he demonstrated by, it required sacrificial love on His part unimaginable pain of separation from the Father and death on the cross. And he did it because that's the only way he could have redeemed us while God maintains his perfect holiness and righteousness and love at the same time. God the Holy Spirit shows us real love and demonstrates it by working tirelessly every day with billions of non-Christians preparing their heart to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, as the Bible tells us. But the Holy Spirit grieves. He suffers unimaginable pain because because he sees billions of Christians that aren't taking advantage of the opportunity to share with the people whom he prepared for the message. The love of Christ isn't compelling them to do anything except be concerned about me, myself, and I. The big idea this morning from our next slide is that Christ's love is sacrificial love. It's action. It's a decision to act. It's not mere feelings. 
And when we understand the love of Christ, the love of God, as demonstrated by God, that is to compel us. Real love is to to compel us to decide, to act. For me, the love of Karen compelled me to get involved with Jordan. That wasn't easy. The love of Christ is to compel us to get involved with strangers that we don't care about. But we know God cares about them, just like he cares about us. In Orange County, you got 2,165,000 non-Christians that live right here. You and I know the only way they can be redeemed, the only one that can redeem them, and that's Jesus Christ. But between 2000 and 2008, I didn't share them with anybody. I didn't even try. How about you? How many non-Christians have you pointed to Christ? The last month, the last six months, the last year, the last week. Sadly, most Christians around the world don't love God the way he loved us. They don't sacrifice with their time and with their priorities in order to rescue a dying soul. Billions have never heard the gospel. While we're in church today, 9,000 people died that have never heard about Jesus Christ. That's three per second. In Orange County, three per hour. We have a huge mission field right here in our own backyard. You have a huge mission field right there with your 8 to 15. Before Jesus went back up to heaven, he gave us the greatest vision and mission statement ever. In Acts 1.8, it says, You will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. God gave you and me the job to tell non-Christians about Jesus. We are to be the witnesses. We are to be his ambassadors. I have to look that up because English isn't my first language. What is an ambassador? What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a representative of a foreign country sent by his country to a foreign place in order to relay the message of his country. For us, what that means is God is sending us as his ambassadors. He's our king. It is we are relaying the message, his message, the message of the kingdom of God to a lost world. As we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is how it describes it in verses 18 through 20. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's God. God is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But three billion people haven't heard because ambassadors for Christ haven't shared the good news.
before 2008, I focused on the fact that, well, my kids were saved. My siblings were saved. My small circle of friends were Christians. They were saved. Therefore, I didn't feel compelled to get out of my comfort zone and sacrifice anything to share with people and to be actually an ambassador. And then there were passages in Scripture that convicted me, like one in Matthew 5, 46. It says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Jesus was saying, in another word, to you and me the same thing. Don't even non-Christians do the same? I'm paraphrasing the last part of that verse. Don't even non-Christians do the same? So, as that transformation happened in my life in 2008, I began pointing people to Jesus. That's what God says and how he demonstrated. That's how we truly love him and how we show we care about his desires by sharing with non-Christians. So, as the next slide shows us, Christ's love is to compel us to decide to tell non-Christians about Jesus. Now today you may be feeling the same way I felt in 2008. I thought, well, how do I share? What is the message? Be reconciled to God. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I actually share Jesus with the lost? I didn't feel skilled enough. I'm an introvert. I was very shy, extremely awkward with people. So I was terrified at the thought of being an ambassador for Christ and sharing with strangers. What about them rejecting me and the message? So some of you might be feeling the same way this morning, afraid of the thought. And that fear quite often is what holds us back. Now, I had a high image of the disciples and the apostles of Acts because they turned the world upside down. So I had a high image of them. These were superheroes. They weren't shy. They were bold. As Acts 4.13 tells us, they were bold. But they were bold, it says, because they recognized that they were with Jesus. That same verse puts some up on the screen. That same verse describes I'm going to share the description of the apostles through different translations. The ESV says they are uneducated and common. That's me. NIV says they are unschooled and ordinary. That's me. The New Living Translation says ordinary with no special training in scriptures. That's me. I've never been to seminary. King James Version is my personal favorite translation of this verse. It says, they are unlearned and ignorant. I could relate to these descriptions. But that didn't stop the followers of Jesus in Acts to turn the world upside down. It didn't stop them from going and sharing Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. They said, well, what about the, perhaps the one that did more than anyone else, Paul? Well, I thought Paul was a superhuman, handsome, like Justin speaks, 
earlier, I don't know, you know, handsome like these guys that portray, I mean, Paul in movies. So, uh, but when I study scriptures a little bit further, I realize that's not even close to how Paul was. Realize that in reality, especially let's see his personality and what he was like. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 3, I'm just uh, uh, going through uh, certain words. It says, Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. That's me. Still get nervous. So the description of Paul showed that maybe he was an introvert. He could write a lot better than he could speak. And perhaps he was shy, awkward. And so you may be feeling the same way, just like I felt. And in 2 Corinthians 11.6, Paul adds, even if I am unskilled in speaking. So he often refers to himself that way. So you may be feeling unskilled in speaking. That didn't stop Paul. But what about his physical appearance? Let's continue. And Paul it talks about Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.10, and it says the following. His letters are weighty and strong. Typical introvert can write a lot better than they can speak. That was Paul, it looks like. But his bodily presence is weak. And his speech of no account. So, as I start looking at some descriptions, I only found only one description of Paul's physical presence outside of the Bible. In the early church documents, it says the following. Paul is a man of middling size, meaning short, and his hair was scanty, meaning balding, and his legs were crooked and his knees were far apart, meaning bow-legged, and he had large eyes and his eyes met, meaning a unibrow, and his nose was somehow somewhat long. So Paul didn't look like these guys. He actually looked more like that guy. So, when I understood that, started realizing, it's like, man, you don't have to speak well. You don't have to look like Justin speaks. You can just, or like these guys, or, hey, I'm good looking, right? You don't have to look like me. (laughs) But you can go out and share Jesus with boldness. That reminded me of the person that helped lead me to Christ. His name was John. I met John in the process of looking for a job. He was bald. He was a little short. Not necessarily good looking. He was awkward. But I don't remember anything he said. But I do remember the things that he did which showed that he cared. John announced himself as a Christian and said, Can I pray with you that you will get a job? the right job. Then he invited me to church. 
Then he invited me to, li- to Bible uh, study at his house. Then he gave me a Bible as a gift. All of those things helped lead me to Christ later on, and eventually I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Each of us can do what John did with me. Each of us can do that with a non-Christian. So in response this morning, the question is, will your life demonstrate Christ's love by loving what he loves? Will you live sent? Will you let love be the sending fuel that lets you soar? Will you let his life His sacrifice for you be the helium that sends you into the world, into Orange County, into your neighborhood, into your 8 to 15, to point them to Christ. Again, you may be feeling like I felt in 2008, afraid, what if I get rejected and so on. A study highlighted in Christianity Today, hopefully they'll encourage you, says that 79% of non-Christians In a survey said, and the following, this is a quote, I would be willing to engage in a faith conversation if a Christian friend shared. Non-Christians are willing to engage in faith conversation about Jesus. Are you willing as a Christian to share? My initial fears in 2008 also, I had some questions. How do I transition a conversation with a person from small talk, which I could do, into a spiritual conversation? How do I share my faith in Jesus effectively, concisely, precisely, simple? Join us for a workshop coming up right here. June 5th from 7 to 8.30. We're going to answer these questions. We're going to equip equip you with these things and other practical and simple things such as a simple and quick way to share Jesus with non-Christians that's been well received. A one-sentence gospel presentation. I haven't offended anyone with it. For five years, we've equipped and empowered Christians with things like this, through those Christians and our partners in that five-year period, over 1,400 non-Christians have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through average or ordinary Christians like you and me. So register and join us June 5th so you will be empowered with these practical, simple, yet fruitful principles. Now, even if you can't make it, I want you to realize that you can do this. Living as sent people, as ambassadors, every single one of us can do this, just like John did with me. It doesn't, it's not rocket science. The question is, will you let the love of God, the love of Christ, compel you to recognize, when you open your eyes, you'll start recognizing all the opportunities we have right around us here and in our 8 to 15. Now, I had a question, some of you might have it still, and that is, why does God insist that to use us as ambassadors to tell others? Why doesn't he just blow them away and reveal himself? And it took me years to be able to answer that question, but that's another subject for another message another day. 
in summary of the Bible, here's a summary answer that the Lord has led me to through Scripture. And that is, God wants you to learn how to live out real love. How to live it out meeting the desires of your beloved's heart. He modeled for us, the Trinity does that. He modeled not only in the relationship within the Trinity, but he modeled that with us as I have shared earlier. He demonstrated what that looks like. When we do that, that results with a healthier relationship with God. Everything else flows from that. So when we are living that out with God, then we, it's evidence, it's demonstrated by how we live it with the lost around us. So as we have a healthier relationship with God, it makes it more possible to have a healthier relationship with others. For me personally, it meant I became a Mr. Right. That led me to a Miss Right. And I'm living healthier, better relationships, not only with my wife and with God, but with so many others. Spiritually, it's a much richer, more fulfilling, joyful life than I've ever felt, than I've ever lived. It made me wonder, why did I wait 45 years to begin to do that? I missed out on so much. That's why God wants you to be the ambassador. He doesn't just want to blow everybody else away. When you live as an ambassador, you will experience the benefits of that here and now. But it also carries into eternity. You're already saved. You're going into heaven. But how you live right here as an ambassador determines how you live in eternity. It has an eternal impact. Stop missing out. Start living more often as an ambassador for Christ. So I implore you as we close this morning, I implore you, implore you, let Christ's love compel you and send you. Let your life demonstrate Christ's love by loving what he loves. Let's live sent. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. I pray that every person here says what Isaiah said. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will fill each one of us. We'll recognize what it is that you can do through us and in us. And that we will live sent. And that we'll be your ambassadors, your vessels, your salt and light in the earth. So we can use us, Lord, to redeem one or more of your lost children back into a relationship with him. In Jesus' name, amen.